the time between Christ's first coming and his second, tom- second coming, and there is a real threat of apostasy. That, as Paul says to Timothy in chapter 4, that some hypocritical liars will try to turn some people away, like savage wolves, as he says in Acts 20. And one of the means that God uses to protect us from this great danger of apostatizers, we could call them, is a godly pastor who is consistently following God by feeding on his word and disciplining himself for the purpose of godliness. And so this text here is Paul's attempt at getting Timothy to recognize the weight of his responsibility as, as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. That for Timothy and for all of the pastors who would follow him, it's not enough for him to simply be a good teacher and then live a godless life. And it's not enough for him to simply be a godly person but not be a good teacher, unable to explain the truth of the Scripture. Paul is going to, to um, demand that Timothy does both, that he both is a good teacher and he also has a godly life. And that's what we'll see in our text tonight. So would you look at your Bibles at 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse 11. This is the Word of God. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Paul wants Timothy to know, and I think the Holy Spirit wants us to know, that the godly pastor must be faithful in his life and his public ministry. You might be thinking, well, that's nice, but it doesn't really apply to me. I'll show you how it does apply to you at the end, but, but this section, like much of the letter, is directed largely at Timothy, but it's meant for the whole church to, to listen on and to hold the pastor accountable uh, to these things. A godly pastor must be faithful in his life and his public ministry. Verses 11 through 13, we see the focus of a godly pastor, the task, uh, the responsibilities, the mindset, uh, the responsibility for faithfulness, Last time we saw that in order to avoid apostasy that the godly pastor must be constantly nourished in the word of God. He must commit himself to the discipline of godliness. And here Paul restates the same point and shows how the pastor's life and ministry affects the church. That the godly pastor must feed the people the word of God and he must live the word of God so that the congregation can learn from his example. And so in verse 11 and 13, he says, Feed the people the word of God. Feed the people the word of God. That in verse 11, you must teach them continually. The the command there, the twofold command in verse 11 is prescribe and teach these things. These are continual imperatives. That is, it has the idea of keep on prescribing and keep on teaching these things. And Paul is going to use this phrase, these things, two more times in verses 15 and 16. Verse 15, take take pains with these things. 
persevere in these things. And this is not the first time he's used that phrase. Remember, we saw it last time in verse 6 or a couple times ago um, in pointing out these things. So what is, what is it that the pastor must prescribe, continually prescribe and continually teach? What is Timothy supposed to, to keep on persevering in? And it seems to me that these things points back to the paragraph in verses 1 through 5. That is, that, that if we're going to avoid apostasy, that we must know the truth. Which means that, in verses 6 through 10, Timothy must require sound doctrine and godliness for himself and for his people. That, that these things have to do with the, the protection that we have. So, so continually prescribe and teach sound doctrine so that you as an individual and you as a church avoid apostasy. I think that's what he's trying to say here in verse 11. So teach them continually. In other words, stick to the Word of God. Hold fast to it. Study it. Understand it. And, and learn how to teach it better. Feed the people the Word of God first by teaching them continually and then secondly by leading them publicly in verse 13. We'll come back to verse 12 here in a second, but, but lead them publicly. Remember from chapter 1 that Paul left Timothy in Ephesus in order to put things in order. And we learn here in verse 13 that Paul's plan was to come to Ephesus again. So he says, until I come. But in the meantime, Timothy had a responsibility to lead the people in public worship, which includes at least three things. What are they in verse 13? The first is the public reading of Scripture. The second is exhortation. And the third is teaching. So, Timothy, make sure these three things, at the very least, are happening with regard to public worship. Notice how he commands this. Verse 13, until I come, give attention to. That verbal phrase, give attention to, is the same verbal phrase that we saw in chapter 1, verse 4, in chapter 3, verse 8, and chapter 4, verse 1. It's the idea of not an innocent glance, you know, like just kind of make sure that stuff's going on or a passing notice, but rather it's a gaze, it's a giving careful attention to. It's the same verbal phrase in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, when Paul says, be on guard, pay close attention to the flock, among whom the, the Lord has made you an overseer, the Spirit has made you an overseer. So that doesn't mean you know, you're being on guard to protect the flock against these savage wolves. It doesn't mean a passing glance, like, I hope those wolves don't get us. It's, it's a continual watching. And so Paul's using the same idea here with regard to these three things. Pay close attention to, give careful guard of the reading of the Scriptures, the exhortation, and the teaching. Now, why is it so important that the pastor lead the church in the public reading of Scripture? Have you ever been to a service where... Uh, we might ask the question... Why is this even a command? Why not just... I mean, doesn't this always happen? But, but have you ever been to a service where you would have done just as well to leave your Bible at home? All right? Maybe God was mentioned in passing and maybe godly principles were explained, but there's no attempt to, to lead people to actually look at their own Bibles and understand the truth for themselves. If the Word of God is not the focus of our service of worship, then we move quickly from hearing the Word of God to simply speaking our own minds. And we add religious speak and Christian cliches, Christianese, so to speak, right? 
We add these Christian phrases to what we're saying. All of a sudden, it's just our own ideas. None of it's coming from the text. We're just forming uh, the beliefs of the rest of the congregation based on what we think rather than looking at the text. And so Paul says, look at the Scriptures. Pay close attention to the reading of the Scriptures. Make sure that the Scriptures are publicly read. Now, this was not a brand new practice. This is not something that Paul's just now instituting, saying, you know, we haven't done this before. Give this a try, Timothy. This public reading of Scripture was a practice that began in the Old Testament in the worship of God as well, and it was practiced in the synagogues after that. One of the great values of reading the Scriptures with comment, like we're doing now, and reading the Scriptures without comment, like we did earlier when Jonathan read, is that we hear the pure message of God. And, and so at this church, we, we make sure that the public reading of Scripture is happening and we work to make sure that every service we have at least two public readings of Scripture. One from the Old, typically, and one from the New Testament. That's the normal pattern that we have here. So, in other words, some, one person reads earlier on in the service and then I usually preach from the opposite testament of the one that they had read from. Pay attention to the public reading of Scripture. The next thing that that Timothy needs to do in verse 13 is give attention to exhortation. We could really combine these these couple things, exhortation and teaching, they're very closely related. But not only must the word be read, it also needs to be explained. It needs to be exhorted. We need to... It's not just that there's some magical powers in that when the words kind of pass through our ears, we, we somehow magically change into spiritual beings. No, we have to be exhorted in it, right? We have to see that this is true, see where we're missing the boat, and be exhorted to truth and, and to obedience. I love how Nehemiah 8.8 8, uh, gives a simple description of the responsibility Uh, that I see that I have, which is to publicly feed you. In Nehemiah 8.8, it says that they read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. So, uh, my job is, in a very simplified way, it is to read the Scriptures and explain to you what it means. Explaining the meaning of the text and showing how we can use it to change our thinking and our behavior. That's exhortation. It's encouraging us to to change, to grow. And then this third one that we need to pay attention to, pastors need to pay attention to teaching. It's the third important requirement. And this has to do with not so much just expositional preaching or you know just going through a section like we typically do on a Sunday, but this has to do with the systematic instruction of Christians in living. So... Um, more, more along the lines of theology, what kind of truths that we can trace throughout the whole Bible and show us how to do this. Remember, Jesus commanded his disciples that you must um, teach them how to obey everything that I've commanded you. And so the disciples had this responsibility to pass on what they knew about how to obey Christ, pass it on to the believers as well. All, th- all three of these together show us who we are. And notice all three of these are connected to our life source, the Word of God. Your life source is not in me. Your life source is in the Word of God. And so my job is to continually feed you, not me, but the Word of God. 
And so I have a responsibility to make sure that I make the main focus the Word of God, not myths and endless genealogies or worldly fables or cute stories, but, but the Word of God. So the focus of a godly pastor is to feed the people the Word of God. And then secondly, the focus of the godly pastor is to live the Word of God in verse 12. Live the Word of God. One of the obstacles to a pastor being heard and received as a messenger from God is his youth. The Greek word for youthfulness uh, refers to a person of military age, so very likely Timothy was in his mid-30s when he was pastoring the church in Ephesus. Timothy's in a tough spot. I mean, imagine filling the shoes of Paul, who had been there for three years. The Apostle Paul, who is well-educated, an apostle of Jesus Christ, an older man, spent all this time with the church and, and equipped them and, and helped them. Then you have young Timothy coming in. And Paul tes, tells Timothy in verse 12, don't let your age be a liability. Notice what he says there, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Don't let your age be a liability to your leadership, Timothy. That doesn't mean that he just ignores people who talk about his age or that he rebukes them, you know, as people say, well, you're way too young for me to listen to you. He doesn't turn and rebuke them, but rather he needs to make up for his youth with what? How is Timothy to make up for his youth? What does the text say? Let no one look down on your youthfulness. Notice that next word, but. But rather, and then we could just insert the word, be God, we could insert the words, be godly. So instead of them looking down on you for your youthfulness, make up for your youthfulness with godliness and spiritual maturity. Live a life that's worthy to be followed. Overcome your youth with exemplary living. If Timothy was both young and spiritually lax, his critics would have much to despise about him, right? And we, you, have, you are no example to follow. You're ungodly. And you're young. It doesn't give an excuse for an older man to be spiritually lax, by the way. But, but you see the, the, the tension that Timothy might have. His life and spiritual conduct must be above reproach, which is one of the qualifications of a pastor, by the way, so that the youthfulness argument doesn't stick. It doesn't really matter how old he is. Because he's a godly, mature man. Ultimately, it's not Timothy's reputation that's at stake. What's at stake is the acceptance of the apostolic message. And so, in short, the pastor must overcome his youthfulness with exemplary living. How? How does he do that? The middle of verse 12 gives five specific areas to focus on, which I'm going to summarize in three ways. All right, three ways that that a pastor needs to, to focus on with regard to godliness in order to overcome his, this claim of, of youthfulness. Number one, be mature. And I'm going to put the first two together because I think they're connected. Speech and conduct. So, but rather, in speech and conduct, he's going to say, show yourself an example of those who believe. Timothy, in, the, in your outward disposition, in the way that you speak, the way that you act, make sure that you're not childish or, or um, slow or, or weak in your godliness, 
evil in your, go- in your attempt at godliness, but, but instead be upright and righteous in the way that you live and speak in front of people. The first two of these five um, expectations focus on external requirements. The next two focus on internal requirements. So I would call the second two be authentic. So it's not just enough to be mature externally to, to make sure that you're being slow to anger and abounding in love, quick to forgive, but that you're also internally authentic, faith and love. Be an example for others to follow with regard to your faith and love. Whenever faith and love are mentioned together in the Scriptures, faith always refers to not saving faith, but when it's connected with love, it's always connected with Christian virtue. It has the idea of Christian virtue. That is faithfulness. So in your faithfulness and your commitment to the truth and in your love, show yourself an example. So, so you have to have this, this inward compassion and this inward uh, desire for self-sacrifice, a willingness to give up yourself for the sake of others. Be mature, be authentic, and then fourth one's pretty straightforward, be pure. Or the third one, I should say. The third one is be pure. Impurity is the final one. This term probably includes doctrinal purity, but also moral purity. If you're going to, if you're going to exhort and teach people with regard to how they live and exhort them to be godly, then should not your life be an expression of that as well. If a pastor is going to respond to the condescension that comes from a congregation because of his youthfulness, then he must respond not through saying, well, you know what, I'm doing the best I can. Instead, he responds with righteous living, which should be evident to all because it's mature and authentic and pure. The focus of a godly pastor is to feed the people the Word of God, to live the Word of God in front of the people, and then in verse 14, we see the confidence of a godly pastor, the, the dependence that he can have on God because of the, the position to which he has been called. Verse 14, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Timothy needed to recognize three things about his calling. First, he was gifted by the Holy Spirit. Pastor Timothy apparently was somewhat timid because later on Paul is going to exhort him that the God is not a God of fear, but of love and sound mind. And so Paul exhorts him to be bold and to remember where he came from. And the first thing that Paul wants Timothy to know is that he is gifted by the Holy Spirit. So positively exercise your spiritual gift. You can't forget, Timothy, that, that you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to teach the Scriptures, to understand and to teach the Scriptures. Secondly, through this confirmation uh, by prophecy, that he was confirmed through prophecy. For Timothy, he received confirmation of his call to be a pastor through special revelation. Apparently, there was some kind of prophetic utterance that affirmed that he would be pastor and, and work alongside of Paul and help out this church at Ephesus. This kind of miracle doesn't happen anymore. This kind of prophetic, um, miraculous calling, confirmation. But for Timothy, he was to be assured that God was on his side and there was no need for him to be timid. God was behind him. And then thirdly, 
confidence of a godly pastor comes from being affirmed by the local church. That formerly, Timothy was was affirmed by the church as the pastor. Now, probably not at Ephesus. He's probably affirmed or ordained, as we call it today. He was ordained at another church, maybe Antioch, and and he went on to Ephesus from there. Remember, Paul sent him to put things in order. In other words, the, the, the final confirmation for you, Timothy, is that this congregation has acknowledged your gift, or at least the initial congregation has. This is a practice that we still carry on today, that the congregation publicly confirms or affirms the pastor through the laying on of hands. There's nothing magical about the laying on of hands. It's simply a way to show that, that we believe as a congregation that this person has been appointed by God to, to lead us as a church. This is a reminder to us that there's no such thing as a self-appointed pastor. Pastors don't just come in and say, I'm the pastor of this place. Start following me. The church is the one who's responsible to call and to affirm the leadership of the pastor and, frankly, to remove him when he fails to do his job. So, for Timothy, he should think about these three things. His giftedness from the Holy Spirit, his, his confirmation through this prophetic utterance, and then, thirdly, that he was affirmed by the congregation. And the fruit that comes from this is found in verses 15 and 16. The fruit of a godly pastor. Before we see the fruit that comes from a pastor who is committed to feeding the church with the Word of God and committed to pursuing and exercising godliness. Paul gives a couple more commands. So let's look at those first. In verse 15, he says, Be diligent. And then in verse 16, he says, Be faithful. Okay, so verse 15, he says, Take pain with these things. And again, I think this has to do with teaching and sound doctrine and exhorting people to, to godliness. So take pain with these things. Be diligent with them. And then notice, be absorbed in them. These two are, are very similar. The first command is basically the same as the second. Be absorbed is literally be in them. Probably has the idea that the NIV has give yourself wholly to them. So in other words, take pain. We, we think of that like your boss might say to you. Take pain with these things. This, this report that I need by Friday, take pain with it. This project that needs to be done, take pain with it. In other words, work hard. So for Timothy, just because you have this calling doesn't mean you can just put your feet up and, and, and relax. Nothing substitutes for hard work. And the work of studying the Scriptures and living the Scriptures and preaching the Scriptures And preaching it in a way that's easy to understand is hard work. And so Timothy and all who follow him as pastors must give themselves diligently to this work. They must take pain in these things. Be absorbed in them. The second requirement is found in verse 16. And it is to be faithful. Be faithful in your personal life and in your preaching ministry. Notice what he says there. Verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Now, this pay close attention is different from what we saw in verse 13, that as far as the Greek word or the root from which we get this idea. So we might look at verse 13 and say, pay attention to, that means a strong gaze. That's the same thing here. This one's a little bit different. It's a different Greek word. It actually means 
something like holding fast. Like Philippians 2 uses the same word. Philippians 2.16, you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Or another place that it's used is Acts 3, 4 through 6, that gives us an example of how it, it would be used and how it would be understood for us here in verse 16. There in Acts 3, 4 through 6, a lame man is begging for alms outside the temple. And Peter and John say, Look at us. And and it says, the text says that he began to give them his attention, the lame man. It ga- they, he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Remember how they responded, silver and gold we don't have, but whatever we have we get, we'll give to you, and they healed him. But, but that's the idea. You have this beggar, and the, the potential giver is saying, look at me. And he gives attention to him. He holds fast to that man, who, these men who are about to help him. And so what Paul's saying is this is required of you, Timothy. This is required of every pastor. He must give close attention to his personal life, notice, to yourself, and to his public preaching. He calls the teaching there. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. And then, notice the next line, persevere in these things. So do it for a long time. So watch out for your life, Timothy. Watch out for your preaching, Timothy, and do it for a long time. Now that we've got the requirements covered there in verses 15 and 16, let's see the results. What results from Timothy being diligent, working hard at his responsibility, watching out for his life, watching out for his preaching, and doing it for a long time? The result is, first, a credible ministry, and second, personal salvation. And then one, one other we'll see at the end. All right, first, credible ministry. The first result is found in verse 12. And so let's go back up there. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. And he says, rather in these areas of godliness, show yourself as an example of those who believe. So one of the benefits of Timothy guarding himself and any pastor who stands up before a congregation is that he will be an example to them of how to live godly. And that result goes along with what we see in verse 15. Notice, take pain in these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Why is that important? So that Timothy can get his name on a board somewhere or or some huge party thrown for him because he's been so godly? No, but instead, instead of them looking down on you for your youthfulness, Timothy, and instead of them making excuses not to follow you, because you're working to live uprightly and you are living uprightly and working hard at your preaching, then they will look up to you as an example of godliness, as an example of faithfulness, of authenticity, of purity. They will learn from you. Instead of making excuses, they will follow you. The implication is that as the pastor grows spiritually, his progress is evident to the congregation and it leads to spiritual growth within the congregation. But there's a further effect that the pastor's commitment to godliness and to sound doctrine has, and that is that it will result in his own salvation. Notice verse 16, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation for yourself. Now, if we don't, 
we, we need to t- keep in mind what we said last time, uh, the idea of the analogy of Scripture, that our theology must inform our exegesis here because, again, if this is the only text we ever had, we might think that a pastor can earn his way to God, that his godliness actually earns a salvation. But we know from our theology, from the larger context of Scripture, that what Paul is saying here is not that, that Timothy somehow has a works-based salvation, Instead, Paul's saying that godly performance by the pastor is the fruit of the salvation that God has created in him. That the pastor must work out what God has worked in him. Right? If God has done a work in Timothy, then it must be evidenced in the way that he lives. And if it's not, right? if there's no fruit, then we know what kind of tree it is. There's no godliness there. And what does it say about the tree? There's no life. And so, the pastor's godliness is key. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a condition that must be met in order for him to receive final salvation. Now, it doesn't mean he earns his salvation. It simply means that anyone who is saved by God will produce fruit. There's no fruit. There's no life. And so Paul says, as you focus on these things, anyone who can actually exert any kind of godliness and do it for a long time is someone who has genuine life. And so Paul, you will, in, or, or Timothy, you will ensure salvation for yourself. So live godly. Not only does a pastor's godliness have an eternal effect for himself, but also it has an effect on the congregation that God has entrusted to his care. Notice that last phrase there. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now again, Timothy doesn't save anyone. And you can be thankful tonight that my godliness doesn't save you. Your salvation is not dependent on my godliness dependent on the work of Jesus Christ alone. God is the one who saves. God is the one who brings ultimate salvation. But, here's what the text is saying, that Timothy ensures that salvation would actually take root when he paid attention to his own personal holiness and to public teaching. That is, God uses human means to cultivate life that he gives. So God's the one who, who um, causes the seed to, to sprout. God's the one who produces the fruit. But He also uses farmers to help to, to till the land and, and to weed, get, get rid of the weeds, and to make sure that it's properly watered and cared for and protected from, from animals that might want to eat at it. And does that take away from God's ability to give that life? Can the farmer take the credit and say, I'm the one who gave the life. I'm the one who pulled the fruit out of the, the plant. Or the tree. No, it's God who produces the life. But He uses means to do that, doesn't He? And God, if He wanted to, could, could not use means. Right? He, he doesn't have to use the pastor. He doesn't have to use the church, fellow believers, to help lead you on to God and to eternal salvation. But He does. He's chosen to do that. Your faith is ultimately dependent on Jesus Christ and what He's done. But it's conditioned on 
whether or not the pastor is going to be faithful in his godliness and in his teaching of the Word. I like how the scholar Ralph Earl explains this in his commentary. He said, It would be a great tragedy if a minister rescued the souls of his congregation and lost his, whole, his own soul because he wasn't careful about his lifestyle or teaching. It would be an equally tragic thing for a pastor to save his own soul and to see his hearers lost because the pastor didn't watch out over their souls. He must pay attention to both. So, Timothy, persevere in these things. Watch out for your teaching, your life and your teaching, because in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Think about some application tonight from the text. Number one, recognize what the main thing is. Recognize the main thing. Notice what is not included in Paul's list of expectations for Pastor Timothy here or anywhere else. He doesn't say, make sure that you grow the church budget. Make sure that you have lots of programs. Make sure that the number of people increases. No, Paul's message is consistent with what our Lord expects of every minister of the gospel, and it is faithfulness. The temptation is to worry about numbers and results and recognition. And I say that because I am susceptible to that kind of worry. But the focus of the pastor ought not to be on those things primarily, but on doing the job the right way, focusing on the main thing, being faithful to the Scriptures, depending on God, teaching the congregation through example and exhortation how to follow the Scriptures as well. My job as your leader is to make the main thing the main thing, and it's easy for both you and me to get distracted from what our primary responsibility is. And our primary responsibility is to honor God by being faithful to His Word. So that's what we seek to do here. Recognize the main thing. Secondly, pray for me. Verse 16 is one of the most sobering verses in all the Bible for a pastor. Regarding uh, my role in your life. The reality is that your spiritual well-being is in some measure dependent on my pursuit of personal godliness and faithfulness to the Scriptures. It's in some way dependent on my ability to feed you with the Word of God. Why? Because I could actually lead you astray. So, would you pray for me regularly? I don't have the power to lead you on and to ensure your salvation. I don't. God does. And so as you read passages that lay out my personal and pastoral responsibilities like this one here, pray for me to grow in these areas. Pray for me. But don't just pray for me to be godly and to be a good leader and good teacher, good preacher. You also should... Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. When you hear follow me, you might hear follow me blindly or follow me mindlessly, but that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to follow me as I follow Christ. 
as, as you see me walking behind Christ and doing what He calls all of us to do, then follow me in, in my example. As my preaching is faithful to the Scriptures, obey it. Cling to what is good. Hold fast to it. And disregard what is evil. Challenge me on what is evil. The temptation is to ignore everything that I say because you don't like one thing, thing about my teaching or my lifestyle. But, but I would say to you, to the extent that I follow Christ, follow me. By nature, we need in living color examples to follow. Isn't that true? Haven't you become a better parent because you had someone to follow? You saw someone else who did it well? Or you became a better worker because you saw someone next to you who was a good worker? Or you're a better boss because you've seen how others have done it and handled situations? And that's the nature of us as humans. We need in living color examples what it looks like to follow God. And God has ordained that one of the examples for you to follow, for you to advance in your Christian life, is the example that you have before you. And in the end, Lord willing, we grow up in the Christian life together. And the glory goes to God, that the church is faithful and pure. God is honored. The godly pastor has a great responsibility to be faithful in his life and in his public ministry because it has great effects on his own salvation and on the salvation of others. Let's pray. Father, give us the strength to apply this text to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen me in my resolve to be godly. Lord, root out my um, uh, pockets of resistance and bitterness and, and um, laziness and, and um, desires to, to do things my own way and help me to follow closely behind you because the souls here tonight are affected by how I live. My own soul is as well. And so I pray that you would guard and guide me, help me to be able to protect this church against false teaching, apostasy, people who would come and turn us away from the main thing. Help us to know what is most important here at this church. Help us to work hard together in this ministry and help us not to be glory hogs and and especially me pray that, that we would deflect the glory to you where it belongs. You deserve all the praise for all the good that is accomplished here. Thankful for the, the good that you have accomplished over the eight decades that we have been in this area. And I pray that for eight decades more and even beyond that you would continue to, to use this place and this group of people and, and others after us to be a representation of your light in the world. Help us to be salt and light. And Lord, may we work together for that task. Help us to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Own up to our own sin and and recognize our own failings and our dependence upon each other and ultimately our dependence upon you. We're thankful that our salvation is not dependent on me. It's not dependent on my abilities, but it's ultimately dependent on the work of Jesus Christ. And so our eyes are fixed on him ultimately. And we seek, all of us, we all seek to follow Him. Thank you for His example. Help us to be better at following Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.